Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, sponsored by Running Aces, Racetrack, and Casino. And, uh, man, what a fun week. Uh, today I'm recording this first opening section without my normal setup, so the sound quality is probably not going to be as good. But the interview later with James Splitsuit Sweeney will be good. It's fantastic. You're really going to enjoy that. But I just got back from Vegas. Just a really fun week. Obviously some ups and downs, some really rough variants early with pocket aces. Uh, several times in really key spots that got cracked. Uh, great learning experience talking to people out there. Uh, talking to some, some locals as well. Uh, just fantastic week. Fun time. I was able to cap the week off by winning the 10 p.m. daily deep stacks out there for about four grand. So that was a super exciting uh, way to cap off the week. Played about 30, 32 uh, tournaments. At least that's how many entries I had into tournaments. Was able to cash five times. So kind of what you'd expect there. Uh, no huge caches except for the one nice uh, Daily Deep Stacks run. I did bust the Millie Maker. That was the one bracelet event that I played. Uh, deep into day one, built a nice stack, ran kings into aces into a spot that uh, I just don't think I could get away from, and that uh, that was pretty much the end of my Millie Maker run. So a uh, really fun time. I met a ton of great people. I'm sure you'll hear about some of them uh, as we go forward. Obviously ran into a bunch of superstars out there. Uh, took a few pictures, uh, kind of geeked it up a little bit, um, but just had a really, really wonderful time. Uh, we had our Rec Poker merchandise come in, the first shipment. Uh, looks fantastic, looks really crisp, and actually the first time I wore my blue and white Raglan Rec Poker shirt was the tournament that I, I won. So that's probably going to become some sort of a staple for me uh, going forward. So uh, let me know if you're interested in any of the merch or the uh, uh, of that. I want to thank Flop the World, who uh, is our is our um, merchandise provider, FlopTheWorld.com. They got a rec poker section. Uh, if you want to get hats or shirts or sweatshirts or any of that kind of stuff. Also, thanks to our host, Running Aces. Uh, you'll hear from them in a minute. And just fantastic support. The rail by the Minnesota poker community is fantastic uh, and greatly appreciated. Well, enough about me, enough about that stuff. I do want to thank our sponsor, Running Aces. Then when we come back, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation that I had with James Splitsuit Sweeney, who leads Red, uh, Red Chip Poker. Uh, just a fantastic young dude, fantastic uh mind fantastic insight into the game and i think you're going to enjoy him and then uh, if you find that interesting check out his stuff uh so without further ado let's hear from running aces and then we'll uh we'll jump into that interview running aces casino and racetrack has the best poker room in minnesota featuring 24 7 promos on all cash poker games including earning two dollars per hour in comps plus the most player-friendly tourney structures visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar, Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, everybody. Well, as promised, I am here with James Splitsuit Sweeney, and I'm super excited about this interview. And James, first of all, man, thanks for taking some time with us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And now, where are you calling in from? So right now we're living in Mississippi. We ended up buying a place down here about a year and a half ago. So we lived in Vegas for, for quite some time. I met my wife there and our son there. And then we moved to Vancouver, Washington for a little while, Stones Throw from Portland, and then moved down here like a year and a half ago. Definitely didn't want to be raising a teenager in Vegas. So Mississippi has been really, really wholesome and fantastic and no complaints whatsoever. Yeah, I'm super interested in that. Then I don't, I don't meet a lot of people that live in Mississippi. So, what was kind of the the draw for you? Was there family, or just 
just as you, as you looked at the map, you said, man, that seems like a good place to go. Honestly, every single person asks me this. And it doesn't matter if it's a poker player or non-poker player. It's just like, why the heck are you in Mississippi? And I'm not uh, saying it that way. I'm just more curious. <laughs> no, no, no. It's totally fair. We, we get that from people that are in Mississippi. They're like, why are you here? And I, I, I totally get it. God called us down here. Uh, honestly, we were thinking about moving anyway and just like prayed on it. And God's like, you're going to Mississippi. I don't know why. I don't know why the pull to this place specifically. It's been fantastic. There's been no complaints since, but yeah, definitely a God thing for sure. What's the, uh, what, that's really cool, man. What's the poker situation down there? So we have poker in Vicksburg, which is about an hour away. And then of course there's Biloxi, which is a few hours away. There's Nola, which is a few hours away. There's Tunica a few hours away. So we're kind of like in the dead center where there's not a lot of anything other than home games and there's not a ton of those either. So it's, it's difficult for me to get a ton of volume in without doing a little bit of traveling to say the least. Yeah. Well, how much of your life is, is playing now and how much of it is running all the, the businesses and the, the, you know, whether it's coaching or wretched poker or, you know, how much time are you actually trying to play anyway. So I try to play as much as possible, but like I said, it's definitely challenging. And largely for me at this point, I mean, playing, I don't consider myself a professional poker player at this point, just simply because I don't get to do it enough. It doesn't make up a large enough density of my income. So I definitely consider myself much more semi-pro. So I play as much as I can. And normally it's honestly putting in like bulk binges when I can, especially when I'm in Vegas for the summer or like I was in Vegas a few weeks ago for some coaching and stuff. But I did a lot of playing then as well. So a large chunk of my time is definitely dedicated to the YouTube stuff, building Redshift, building Splitsuit, doing courses and content and workbooks and all that other fun stuff. But all that stuff takes a tremendous amount of time. And because of that, I, I play as much as I can. I think it's very important to continue playing, even you know based on kind of the, the schedule that I currently have and still trying to raise a teenager and, and all that fun stuff and be a good husband as well. But for me, it's it's kind of... It's difficult to find the balance, but I do my absolute best. And I look at playing as very important to make sure that I'm not missing current trends, right? That I'm understanding what ranges are currently looking like, what frequencies are still looking like. So that way when I'm saying things, it's not off base, right? Because there's a lot of things in this game that can shift so quickly that if you stop playing for any period of time, like things can definitely shift. So it's important for me to keep my my finger on the pulse and make sure that I get as much volume in as I can, even though unfortunately it's a little bit more sporadic given my schedule right now. Right. And have you, have you found that you've enjoyed, you know, that transition from playing more to doing more on the business side of the training side of things? Or do you find that, man, I just really miss the game or, you know, are you, are you comfortable with the, the balance that you have? I do wish I could play a little bit more, but I'm pretty darn comfortable with the balance. And honestly, the balance has been this way for, for a while, not necessarily this tip. This, this is very tipped right now, but like, even when I was living in Vegas, like it's always been a large density of business and coaching and growth in that respect. And for me, playing has never been something that I wanted to do like fully, fully professionally. It's something that I always really enjoy doing even still, but for me, playing professionally, I mean, it takes a lot, a lot of hours and dedication and mental will in order to do this fully professionally. I know a lot of people are like really enamored with the concept of going pro, but you know, the more and more I talk to them about it, like what their real goals are with it, it's just like they want the freedom. But you have to understand, like, if you're going to be doing this professionally, like, you're still going to have a boss. Yes, you're your own boss now, but you still have a boss nonetheless. And if you're not putting in volume and you're not putting in study time, you're not doing all the things you need to do to keep your mental health and your physical health in line, like, this this thing will absolutely destroy you. So I think for a lot of people, 
you know, they really want to go pro. But if you want to do that, I definitely suggest like thinking about, is that going to be the best choice for you? Or is semi-professional and just, you know, getting a decent chunk of volume and going to work? For me, it works. I, I much prefer life with a better balance like that. Professional, I don't think would work as well for me, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, it's so good. And I think, I think self-awareness is so critical to whatever you're doing in life. And I think very few people really take the time to ask that question of what would be best for me in the long run here, or what would I enjoy the most? And, you know, you seem like the kind of guy that's very self-aware. I appreciate that. And I, I definitely agree with you. You have to ask yourself these questions. You have to be totally self-honest. And, you know, if you can't motivate yourself to study a little bit right now, and, you know, you have a job, you have all these other things, you're not somehow going to get the motivation to study 20 hours a week on top of grinding 50 hours a week if you go pro. Like, it's just not going to happen. So if you can't do it now, don't think that it's magically going to change if you go pro one day. That's so good. I, I, I do some other speaking on the side talking about like innovation and things like that. And uh, sort of the caveat off of that is one of the things I talk about is you have to decide if you're in the, in the uh, you know, if you're passionate about or if you're in love with the actual core element or if you're in love with the idea of that. And so in the sense of poker, you know, are you just in love with the idea of being a poker player or are you actually in love, you know, passionate enough about poker that you're going to take those steps to become one, a poker player? Amen. Amen. I think that's really, really well said. Yeah, because I think for a lot of us, you know, we're, we're wired to innovate, we're wired, we're wired to do the new thing. And so uh, we just kind of jumped to that new thing because we were, we're in love with the idea of doing that. We're not really in love with the core piece. So I, I love what you said there. If you're not willing to kind of do what it takes when you really don't have time to do it, are you going to be passionate about it when it comes time for that? Yeah. And when the stressors start kicking in, I mean, if you haven't gone pro, you know, you don't know what the stress of having a losing month is right. when that's your sole income. And like, honestly, it's a very, very difficult thing to be able to handle that. And a lot of people just aren't honest with themselves about what that's going to do to them. It does things to your motivation. It does things to your physical health. It does things to your mental health. And like, for some people that can just be excruciating. And like you said, you got, you got to know yourself. You have to have these conversations. And if you don't have them in advance, the, the long-term ramifications can be really, really bad. Right. And that, that leaks over into relationships and every other element of your life as well. Yep, exactly. exactly. So let's talk a little bit about how you got into poker. So I'm, I'm curious, just kind of in general, how you get into poker, which I know you've talked about in your podcast and stuff before, but, you know, give, give our audience a little bit of an overview. But, but specifically, one thing I'm interested in is, um, you know, you've, you've got a faith life. You're talking about being called down to Mississippi. And, you know, how did that sort of intersect with poker? And was there ever some sort of difficult times where those intersected? Yeah, that's totally fair. So we'll start with the, the general history and I'll, I'll keep it brief because honestly, I think it's one of the most boring stories in the world because it's <laughs> what everyone who's my age, their story looks the exact same. I started playing in college, I started winning, and I started doing this thing and enjoyed it. Pretty yeah. much that. So <laughs> I started playing back in like 04, so you know, moneymaker era and started playing online in college and quickly started to get my, my feet into it, started to get some traction with it and just continued playing for quite some time. Now, where my story kind of deviates and forks from the normal, the normal is I that what I just said, and then they just continued playing forever. For me, I really enjoyed coaching. But just in general, I, I really enjoy the, the element of teaching anything. I think that's a very, very important skill for me, and it's something that I'm constantly working to cultivate and further. 
So for me, it was a kind of a natural transition to start teaching people what I could. And it's just been something that has kind of like really, really propelled where I am today. So I started coaching in maybe 07 or 08, somewhere in there, would have been like tail end of 07, and just really, really enjoyed it. And I got very lucky because early on, one of my students was a math teacher from the Netherlands. And he was awesome. So I would do normal coaching with him. And then for like 30 minutes afterwards, he would coach me on coaching. on like teaching better. And that was just like super, super pivotal and really, really helped me improve my coaching a significant amount. And I've always been really, really like open and available to that kind of feedback. Because I think it's really important that if you like something that you continue trying to get better at it. And I really enjoy coaching. I enjoy working with people. I enjoy helping people. And because a lot of the things and a lot of the skills you learn in poker and build in poker are very, very transferable to real life, that to me is really, really motivating. I really like helping people improve their lives, make better decisions, have happier and healthier relationships. And poker, you know, kind of seems like a weird way of doing that. But in my opinion, it's a really, really good way of doing that because hobbies are such an important part of people's lives. So if you can have a hobby that not only makes you some money, but also makes you a better person that sounds great to me rather than going to play golf or doing woodworking, which is great stuff, you know, playing poker, which can do so many extra good things. I don't know. I, I'm really enamored with that. No, oh, man, that's really cool. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's sort of, you know, as you're looking for poker coaches, I think a lot of us recreational players have, have sort of toyed with the idea of, do I get a coach? Do I not get a coach? Who do I trust? Uh, you know, and so something like that might resonate with people. If you're saying, you know, I want somebody who's going to be looking at poker holistically. Yes. I want to learn the skills. I want to learn, you know, develop the ability to put tools in my toolbox. But I'm also interested in somebody that's going to look at this from a holistic, you know, life perspective. And it sounds like that's sort of where your starting point is. Yeah, just because I think it's really important, but I do want to expand a little bit. Maybe I'll shoot myself in the foot, but I have no problem doing that. I think a lot of people that want coaching, if you want coaching and, and, uh, you know, coaching, obviously I am a coach. So keep that in mind. But I'm being totally honest, like be honest about why you want coaching. Mm -hmm. Are you looking for coaching because you think it's a silver bullet where you're just going to take one or two hours of coaching and somehow you're going to click, get it. And you're going to be a killer by the end of the day. Like that's not the way that coaching works. So if you're thinking of it from that point of view, I really suggest don't do any sort of coaching yet because you don't have the right mindset for it. Coaching comes best when you have an idea of where you might have some leaks. And when you're really, really looking for patching those leaks, you're expediting it and you're saying, okay, I've tried to find answers and solutions right now. I'm hitting kind of the butt of my logic stream and I need some help getting over the next hurdle. That's where you're going to get the most value from coaching. But if you're looking for the silver bullet, you're not going to find it. And you're not going to find it in a coach, no matter how good they are. You're not going to find it in a training product. You're not going to find it in a book. There is no silver bullet for this game. There's hard work. There's hard thinking. There's a lot of hard thinking. And if you're just looking for, you know, I'm going to pay someone a couple hundred bucks for an hour and all of a sudden I'm going to be a killer. Please, please, please don't think that's going to be the case because I promise you it's not going to be. So when you think about your, that's really good. When you think about your coaching style compared to others, like are there certain leaks or are there certain elements of people's games that you feel, man, I'm one of the best coaches out there in terms of helping people overcome that hurdle in their game? Uh, I, because I haven't taken enough coaching with other coaches, I, I definitely couldn't say that for sure. But one of the things that I really focus on is not just giving singular answers, rather teaching how to find big answers. 
I think learning how to learn is very, very important and learning how to think deeply and creatively is extremely important. So when someone asks me, you know, okay, should I isolate here with X hand? Like, mm-hmm. I think you're asking the wrong question. I can give you the right, right answer to that question, but why don't we sit here for a couple of minutes and understand what goes into making it a better decision there? Rather than trying to memorize a single hand for a single spot, for a single position in a single game, let's learn how to actually think. Let's learn how to actually dig out complex answers out of this game, because if you don't learn that part of it, you're screwed because eventually you're going to hit the cap of memorization. Our brains are only so strong. They can only remember so many things. They can only recall so many things in real time with stressors around us. So that's not the way to do it. You need to learn how to think. And that's what I really try to get out of students as much as possible. Whenever they ask me a question, whether it's a big picture concept or a very, very granular concept, okay, what goes into that spot? If you don't know, let's talk about that because that's the really important stuff. That's the stuff that's going to take you much, much further. I don't want students to need me forever, not by any stretch. I don't want to be anyone's training wheels. I want to get you where you need to go, teach you how to think so that way you can find your own answers in the future, that way you can think creatively and do all the cool, fun stuff in this game rather than rely on a coach. That's so good. So if so if you're sort of into the micro learning, if you're one of those guys that just wants to know how do I play pocket fours under the gun in this exact situation, you know, you really don't need a coach for that or there's certain coaches that can give you that. But what I'm hearing from you is if you really want to learn the foundational elements, the concepts of how do I think about the situation that can be applied to, you know, a wide variety of specific situations, that's where the coaching comes in that you can offer that sort of foundational, how do I think about this situation coaching? Exactly, exactly. And and also kind of baked into that to some extent is how to start thinking creatively and atypically. Because it's really easy in this game to fall into groupthink and, you know, everyone thinks this way and as such, I'm going to do the same thing. But there's a lot of edge when you can think creatively and you can find creative sizing, you can find creative actions, you can find creative lines, you can find creative ranges because of all these fun things. So, you know, you really have to be honest with yourself about what you want from this game. And if you want that kind of stuff, like coaching could be a really good option. But again, like really be honest about your, you know, where you are with poker, what you're going to spend on it. Are you going to be able to develop an ROI from that? Or are you just doing it because you think like buying any other poker book, it's just going to be cool to have it on your shelf. Like, don't do that. Make good decisions. And like, again, like I'm shooting myself in the foot here, right? Because there's some people that are going to be like, wait, 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 I would have paid for that, but now it's probably not right for me. Good. That's a good thing. I don't want you to waste money. I don't want you to waste time. Understand what you're trying to do and then actually set a plan in action to do that. Uh, So good. That's so good because you want to find a coach that's going to be aligned the same way that you're thinking about things. So yeah, if you're thinking about a different way of doing it, find a different coach. But but if you're thinking about it the way that you're you're thinking about it, man, uh, give James a call here. Let's let's go. Um, (laughs) I'm curious a little bit about uh, you know kind of getting into more of the detail of things. I know we want to you know you're more of a macro coach, but you know, as you do play or as you talk to, you know, the, the students that you have, what are some of those things that you see all the time or that are the most common mistakes that people are making out there? A lot of it is groupthink and also a lot of it is like memorization. I, those two kind of go hand in hand, but like people are trying to memorize a range chart. They're trying to memorize a three-bet chart. They're trying to memorize a bet size in an X-player pot and when the flop comes, Y high, right? Like they're trying to memorize these things. And when you're memorizing things in this game, they can work. 
you can be profitable. Again, like I'm not trying to take anything away from that. You can most certainly be a profitable memorization kind of player. That's okay. But are you going to be the optimal player you can be right this moment? No. Are you going to set yourself up for the best long-term success, particularly if you have aggressive plans on moving up? No. So a lot of people, if you're constantly falling into that trap, and again, I think there's some people that are memorization players and they look at coaching as the silver bullet out of that, or they look at this next thousand dollar course as the way out of that. It's not, it's not. And, and I guess the other league kind of tied into that to some extent is the lack of motivation to put in the off table time, right? They're, they're hoping to watch a couple of YouTube videos a week and somehow they're going to get it. If you're dedicated in this game and you really want to improve your win rate or you really want to move up at some point or you really just want to be the best possible player you can possibly be, you can't do that watching a few YouTube videos a week or listening to a few podcasts per week. And I make both of those things. And again, I could be shooting myself in the foot here, but I want to be truly honest with you. Like if you want to improve at anything, you have to put in time. Time to absorb the content, time to think about the content, time to think about it creatively, time to expand your brain a little bit. And that takes time. It takes a lot of effort as well. So if, if you know, you're kind of just looking for shortcuts and in, in memorization stuff, like it can work, but you're never going to be the best player you want to be. I'm just being totally honest. That's good. No, and there, there's so many videos out there. I think sometimes for many of us, it's, you know, which videos are even watched. If I'm going to watch videos or how do I start a, you know, how do I develop a more comprehensive, strategic, off the felt plan? And I don't know if you have any advice for, for those of us who are out here, you know, we're maybe not pro players. Some people listening definitely want to become full-time players. But for those of us who are out here, maybe we say we have, we only have five hours a week or, you know, maybe eight hours a week that we can spend, you know, trying to build up our skill set. How do we develop a strategy? Because I think, uh, you know, I get sent, people send me videos all the time. Like, here's a video. Check this out. This looks good. Check this out. And that's fine, but it feels so disparate. It doesn't feel like it's a, you know, sort of a, you know, a, an effective coordinated strategy. So what advice would you have for people that are saying, okay, I have five to eight hours a week. I want to develop an off the felt strategy that's really going to improve my game the, the best. I want to feel like it's integrated and sort of cohesive what what suggestions do you have for, for folks that are in that camp? So the exact question you're asking is the exact question we tried to answer when we created core, because we know that there's a lot of people that want a syllabus. They want the structure. They want to know what they should be studying next and what information they needed before that, what prereq knowledge was required to fully understand that concept or that lesson or that play. And that's what we thought about when we were trying to build core. And so I, I hate to push product, but core is probably the exact answer you're looking for because it's exactly everything you just talked about. It's structured. You know exactly what to study and when. It refreshes stuff that you already know and reinforces the strong concepts that you already have down, but it also helps you build the next stuff that you need. It also helps you put all of it together. Because again, the people that are looking for memorization things are saying, I want to memorize what hands I should three bet okay, well, you know that if you're actually trying to create a three-betting strategy, you also have to understand your call two-bet strategy, right? You also have to have a post-flop strategy in three-bet pots, and you should also probably understand how to play post-flop and call two-bet pots. So it's not just a memorize a three-bet range. It can't be. If it were that simple, everyone would be a crusher, 
And we already know by the data that that is simply not the case. So what we built Core with was to help you not only understand the singular plays that you want to learn how to run, be it triple barrels, double barrels, three bets, whatever it is, but how to integrate that and how to fully understand the concept in both sides of it, how to understand the aggressive side of it and the passive side of it. Because if you understand both of those things, then you can actually have a legitimate strategy rather than this like staple stitch strategy that's just a bunch of memorized things and you hope that things fall in line. But again, you're going to find the end of that at some point. That logic just inherently will have an end. So the whole point is to give you a complete strategy, everything that goes into that, show you both sides of it. And that's kind of what we did when we were thinking about core and core is available at Redshift if you're interested. So talk a little bit more about that then. So, so if, if core sounds good, is that something that's, you know, is that a good option for the recreational player that only has a limited amount of time? What kind of, what kind of cash are we talking about? Give us, give us a little more plug about, about core. Yeah, sure. I really appreciate the opportunity. So core is over a hundred lessons. Everything is structured. If you were to do core right this moment and do it from front to back, it would probably take you about 65 to 75 hours, give or take. So it's very, very expansive, but it's not done in a way that's long-winded for the sake of being long-winded. It's actually as concise as possible whenever possible. So the whole point with core, again, is to give you the full lay of the land. Honestly, again, everyone kept asking, for a syllabus. And I I was really fearful about building a syllabus because if you miss things in a syllabus, if you miss things in something that's this structured, it can have really, really bad long-term ramifications. So it was really important to me that it be very, very well structured. And honestly, we spent months upon months tweaking it, saying, okay, what goes where? When should they learn this? Okay, do you need to learn this first before you can understand why? Or eh, should we put X or Z here? months, months of tweaking this thing in order to make sure that it was the best possible thing at the end of the day. And for me, there were two parts of it. One, I felt it needed to be extremely high value and extremely well-structured. And two, I wanted it to be something that there was no possible monetary excuse, right? I wanted to make it where, you know, seriously, if I were to sell this as is, in like a standalone one-off pricing, it would be so expensive that no one would want it or well, people would want it, but they wouldn't pay for it. So I said, okay, let's make this extremely, extremely reasonable. And we just charge five bucks a week. That's it. That way, no one has an excuse. Whether you play, you know, two no limit or five no limit online, or you're playing two five live, it doesn't matter. I wanted to make it so that it was as financially reasonable and highest possible ROI potential available. And again, you can find it at redchippoker.com. It's right there on the homepage. You'll see a link for it. And I really hope you check it out and enjoy it. And I think you're going to find heaps and heaps of value. And we've had people take it that are playing 2-5 and have been winning for a long time and people that are very new to the game take it. And every single person is getting something slightly different from it because of the way that it's built. Either it's reinforcing things that they're like, okay, yeah, 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 but I kind of forgot about that, to, oh, I didn't even know I was supposed to be thinking about that, right? So we're filling in kind of both sides. It's either rebuilding it or it's building it, and either way, it's doing it in the right way and structured at the right time. Dude, that sounds fantastic. If you could Thank give you. me, give me uh, because I'm a slow dude, this is why I have to have a podcast, because I'm slow and it takes me a while to learn things. Give, give me a little flavor of um, what would it mean to not have a – a memorization approach. So uh, I think for a lot of us, you know, we do, we do take that memorization approach. We, at least we are trying to, because that's sort of how we're building the building blocks. And so, you know, I might have an opening range, you know, in a certain position that I've memorized and then I Mm -hmm. tweak, you know, relative to, you know, how the table dynamics are, who's in the blinds, the stack sizes, some of those things. 
And then I have a, you know, what I'm going to do if I'm facing a three bet, I, I sort of have that, that range split into, you know, where I'm going to four bet, where I'm going to fold and where I'm going to call. And, and those are memorized, or at least I'm trying to memorize them. But you're right, it, it's so impossible to remember all of those things, and all the adjustments that I need to make. But I really don't know how to how to approach it otherwise. So, and without, you know, obviously, you can't teach the whole course now. But can you give me at least a flavor for, you know, a paradigm shift of how I might be thinking about that differently? Well, I think you're on the right track, actually. I think you have to give yourself a little bit more credit here because I think you are thinking about some of the important variables that shift things. So let's take the example you just brought up, right? Let's just say you're open raising from middle position and you don't have to t- tell me what, exactly what your range is, but you said there are some times when you might, uh, some, some dynamic shifts that might shift things. So talk to me a little bit about that. When would you open wider from middle position and when would you open tighter? Well, I mean, depending on the, you know, if I'm thinking about the player dynamics, if they're, they seem to be playing tighter, those that are behind me still left to act, I'm going to be opening wider. If, uh, if I'm rarely getting three bets, um, I'm probably going to be opening wider. Uh, if the stack sizes are smaller, I might be opening, uh, you know, if people have shovelable stacks, I might be opening uh, tighter. Um, I guess those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. Perfect. So you already admitted to me that you're not just a pure memorization player. You're using a memorized range as a starting point, And then you're looking at the variables and the dynamic that's present to make optimal or optimizing decisions, either by constricting your range or by opening your range wider. And that's exactly it. So the other part of it is then, okay, when you face that three bet, regardless of what you just opened, you face a three bet. Talk to me about your strategy there. What's going into that decision? Yeah, that's where, this is where, you know, the, sort of the divide between the great players and the good players, you know, a lot of times I'm still surprised when that happens. I haven't really thought through what I'm going to have because the problem with being a memorizing player is that I say, okay, I'm going to open here. And then, you know, when it happens, when it's three bets, like, oh, shoot, now I have to try to remember, I'm trying to memorize what are my four betting versus calling versus, uh, versus folding ranges there. And so I think um, part of this, I need to get better at thinking ahead of time what's going to happen. But uh, you know, given that that's happened now, part of my decision is, uh, you know, what options do I even have? If I four bet, is it a shove or can I four bet? Uh, how wide are they three betting? Have they, have they three bet before? Have they showed down what they've been three betting with? What's the gap between what they three bet and fold to a four bet if they've experienced that yet? Uh, you know, how likely are they just to get it in with me? You know, I guess those are some of the things that I'm considering. Perfect. So you're, you're considering the right stuff, but the issue is you're still a little reactive in your thought process. And right. here's the issue. The more reactive you are, almost certainly the nittier you're going to be. Because our natural brains are very, very pre-wired to be protective of us. So protective in this game means don't risk a lot of money when you're uncertain. So you better fold because you're not 100% sure where you are right now because that's safe. Or you better just call because that's safe right? Your brain is in this very, very protective mode unless you can rewire it and convince it that, hey, 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 no, 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 no. I don't need to be protective here. Here's why I'm going to be more aggressive. And you're telling your brain this confidently. And usually that confidence comes from having some basis of the math baked into your brain. And then all of a sudden you can get away from these really, really nitty things and nitty reactions. So the more proactive you are in that thought process, especially off tables, that way in real time, you're not panicking. Because in real time, you already have a lot of stressors going on. 
right? If you're playing live, there's a lot of things going on. There's lights, there's people, there's social interactions. You might be trying to balance a table image. Even if you're playing online, there's a lot of stuff floating around all at the same time. So the more and more stressors there are, that's the more and more brain power being sucked away. So you have to do a lot of this like preloaded stuff off table. And that's where again, you know, videos and work and coaching and all that kind of stuff will factor in. But even if it's just sitting there saying, okay, here's the spot. Now I'm going to think through it and spend 45 minutes of my time off table saying, okay, what would I do here? If my opponent's a little bit tighter, what do I do here? If they're a little bit looser, what do they do here? If they, if I think that they're doing this with nines plus, ace, queen plus, very, very deep hold, what do I do here? And you only get there by asking yourself those questions a billion times off table. And then when you're in real time, you're just like, all right, how wide do I think this dude is here? And then from there, your, your reaction becomes very, very straightforward, but only because you've thought about this stuff and preloaded a lot of this stuff off table. That's so good. Is that, is that part of that? Just like, like you said, you tend to be nittier when you're being reactive. Is that the whole, you know, the, the, your limbic system, your, you know, your amygdala sort of kicking into the fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we're not, you know, we don't have a pre-specified plan. We don't have that logic sort of already defined where we can react logically according to a sound strategy we're going to, our brain is naturally going to resort to the amygdala fight or flight. And naturally, most of us are going to be more flight and more nitty. Is that sort of the, the general idea here? That's exactly right. Yep. Our, our brains are incredibly powerful, but incredibly basic and silly at certain times. So like you have to do a lot of like retraining of your brain off table. Like a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to put in a lot of volume and somehow I'm going to figure it out. Like, no, you do a lot of this stuff off table. You have to change the way that your brain handles stressors, the way that your brain handles triggers, the way that your brain handles aggression, either when you're facing it or making it. Like you have to train that. And if you don't, I mean, good luck making the right decision in real time. And that's just being totally honest. I know that that sounds a little rude, but what else are you going to do? We have silly human brains, you know? Yeah, for sure. And so do you think, would you sort of extend that to say then some personalities are, are, are better geared naturally for this game versus others? Very few. Okay. I mean, the, the large percentage of people are very, very pre-wired to be very safe. And that's why you see the average rag in a game is not a really awesome, aggressive, balls-to-the-wall kind of player, right? What does the average reg look like in a game? Nitty, boring, safe, tight patient, protective, disciplined, easy. Exactly. Right. Because why? Because their brain is pre-wired to just be really, really safe. They don't do enough work off table in order to retrain their brain to do anything different. And why should they? Because in their brain, they've been winning. They're a winning player. So why should they change anything? Right. Their brain gets that treat every single time they have a winning session. Hooray. I don't need to change anything. I got my treat. Well, okay. But if you want to move up, if you want to play against tougher players, if you want to take legitimate shots, if you want to optimize your win rate here, you, you got to think about it. Even if, even if it's just, okay, what would happen if I do the polar opposite of what I normally do, right? And this is just a thought exercise that I suggest players do quite often. What if I took the polar opposite line in this spot every single time? What if I did that, right? Just, doing, just the act of doing that kind of thought experiment will challenge your brain to get out of autopilot mode where you're taking the safe answer because you quote unquote know what it is. What would happen if you took the opposite? You're stretching your brain. You're, po- you're flexing your poker brain muscles. That's really, really important stuff to do. And I mean, honestly, if you did that for 15 to 20 minutes per day for the next month, you'd be amazed at the end of that month how differently your brain is thinking about spots. Even if you come up with the wrong answer every single time, 
every single time. It doesn't matter. Just the act of doing that kind of thing consistently and building the habit around thinking creatively is going to do wonders for your brain, not just on the felt, but also in real life. Because that's the issue. People fall into just autopilot thought process. That is a really, really dangerous place to live, in my opinion, anyway. Oh, that is really good, dude. Let's uh, let, let's shift gears again, just because, man, we're gonna we're gonna talk for hours and hours here. It's <laughs> <laughs> really good. Um, thinking about your own game and some of the things that you've had to really work on off the felt. You know, can you talk a little bit about some of those things that you maybe used to have really a difficult time with, whether it's a certain certain type of opponent or certain situations, pre-flop, post-flop, whatever it is that you really kind of had to work on and overcome? So there's been so many different points. I'll I'll point to one because I think it's really, really, well, yeah, I'll point to one first. Then if we have to expand, we can. So the big one that I had to get away from was the overthought process of black and white, meaning that a bet is pure value or it's pure bluff. And I'm not going to make bets that aren't pure value. And I'm not going to make bets that aren't pure bluffs, right? Which essentially left me playing pretty nitty, pretty tight, pretty safe, and very, very showdown value heavy. So that took some serious time and effort to break away from. But as soon as I did, my game really, really opened up. Because essentially what was happening is I was breaking a rule. Okay, my brain, we're talking about this memorized thought process stuff, right? Memorized players have rules in their head. And oftentimes those rules are just baked on insecurity things, right? So like I, a rule could be, I'm only going to get it in on turns and rivers if I have two pair plus, right? That, that could be a rule that someone has. And some people listening to this are like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that kind of rings true. That might be a rule that I have to some extent. And it's not to say that it's bad, but is it optimal? Again, going back to that thought process. So for me, it was a really, really bad thing to have that. A rule had been set and I had to really, really crush at that rule to figure out why it was wrong. Now, reading uh, Poker's 1% from Ed Miller was really, really helpful for that because it really showed me what this game is and more importantly, isn't. And from that was able to say, okay, well, if I'm constantly checking these showdown value hands behind, my frequencies are all sorts of warped up. Okay, why is that bad? And then I had to go through the thought process of, okay, are other people doing the same thing? And a large chunk of regs are. They're very, very showdown value centric. So for me, it was something that not only was I able to say, okay, this is clearly a leak in my game and why I need to fix it and here's how to go about fixing it, but also here's what other people are likely doing and how I can abuse them when they have this kind of issue. And it's very, very easy to spot people that have a very showdown value minded thought process and strategy, right? If they're constantly bet flop, check all turn, check all river, and they show up with top pair mech kicker, they show up with queens on a king high board, we found our showdown value, dude, hooray. And then it's super, super easy to just blast at that dude and make his life a living hell. But you wouldn't find that unless you started thinking creatively, right? You just fall into the same trap and you run the same strategy that they're running. And that's, again, a dangerous proposition. So that was a big one for me. That, that took some serious time, some serious rethinking. And, and I constantly had to like re-dig at that because I'd find myself saying, well, I'll just go back and get a little bit more of a showdown value mindset here. Well, why? All right, fine. Time to spend 45 minutes and rethink about this one. And it pretty much set up my study for the rest of the week. And I just blast through that. That's really good. And and that sort of funnels back into the self-awareness piece because a lot of players, you know, will see those things or, you know, those things will continually happen to them, but they're not really aware. They're not really asking those questions of what's actually going on in the situation. Why am I not taking advantage of this? Or why are people taking advantage of me? And I think that's a critical part of what you're talking about is 
pay attention, ask questions, be self-aware, and then do something about it. A hundred percent. And I'll, I'll expand on that just a little bit more because I think it raises a really fair point on why people don't do it. They don't do it because to them, nothing has happened to lead them to change it, right? If they take this showdown value approach, right? Bet flop and then check call turn, check call river, and they win the pot, their brain gets a treat because they probably won the pot and they induced their bluff that they were looking to do and hooray, they won. Or maybe they lost a little bit and they're like, well, it's better that I did this than lost my whole stack, right? Brain gets a treat. So the brain gets a treat regardless of what they do. But what, that doesn't inherently mean that the strategy is best. It just means that it didn't totally blow up in your face. So when, then we have to ask the question of, okay, well, if the pot totally blew up in my face, how often is that going to happen? Is that good? Is that bad? What are the ramifications of winning that pot when it doesn't blow up in my face? And what are the ramifications of losing the pot when it does? Right? So you can't end the question at, did I win the pot or did I lose the pot? Did my brain get a treat? And even if my brain gets a treat, you still have to fight that urge and you have to say, okay, why is my brain getting a treat here? And does that inherently mean that it was best? Remember, our brains are incredibly dumb. I mean, they're incredibly powerful, but you have to train them to be optimal powerful. Otherwise, you're just falling into the same mind trap that everyone else does. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, you see this in you know, I mean, I'm sure it's been a long time since you played some of the tournaments that I play, but if you're playing, you know, a $75 weekly tournament or $100 weekly tournament, and this happens so many times where, you know, a guy's pocket jacks and somebody somebody opens pre-flop and he just calls with his jacks. Mm-hmm. Then, he flops, then he flops top set, you know, on a jack four deuce rainbow board. And, the, you know, the, the, the original better, he continues. And then the guy with the top set of jacks just jams his 80 big blinds. You know, and then the guy folds and he, you know, he proudly shows his jacks and he says, well, at least I didn't get sucked out on. And, and you're, you're right. I think I love that analogy. If your brain gets a treat, his brain got a treat. He had pocket jacks. He flopped a set. He's stacking chips. But how much value did he lose as a result of that is a question that I think for a lot of recreational players just never really enters in. That's exactly right. And the issue there is his brain got so many treats. His brain got a treat because he didn't have to face a difficult spot pre-flop. His brain got a treat because he flopped top set, whatever the hell that means. His brain got a treat because he didn't get sucked out on for the rest of it. I mean, like he just got so many treats. He has no motivation or reason in his mind to even consider any other way of playing his hand. Because right. it worked and he, out. He, feel, he does feel really good about it. You can tell they just feel really, really good about it. Yep, exactly right. Exactly. And the other guys think, have man, to, I have to Yeah. And you have to ask yourself that in real time. And you have to ask yourself that in real life, right? If you're feeling good about something, something happens, like legitimately spend 12 minutes and say, why do I feel good about this? Every time you feel bad, why do I feel bad about this? You you said earlier, like self-awareness is a really, really important thing. And I think the best poker players in the world are extremely self-aware, oftentimes to a fault in real life, but in the felt, it definitely helps. But honestly, like you have to be incredibly self-aware. And I spent about two years of my life asking myself why after everything, everything. I mean, it became an annoyance and I would force myself to say, okay, why are you feeling this way? Why are you doing this? Why do you think this is the best usage of your time right now? Why are you pricing something this way? Why are you buying this thing and not that thing? Why are you spending four hours researching something that costs $30? Why are you doing this? And like everything became a question for me. But because of that, everything then was forced to get an answer. And in answering things, I started cutting out a lot of the bad stuff. I started entering in more good things. I started optimizing wherever possible. And this process should never stop. And on the felt, this is really important. And when you're studying for poker, this is like infinitely important. 
Because if you don't know your game inside and out, that's a problem. And if you study your game really well, you start to understand how other people who played that strategy or continue to play that strategy, how to beat them more easily. And oftentimes it's, it's, you're going to find some really, really cool things. I don't want to like shortchange it and not have you go do the work, but like you're going to see some really easy spots where you can make some stupid, easy money just by kind of exploring some things that you were taking for granted in the past. That's so good. When I, when I talk about innovation, I talk about innovation being driven by people who are addicts, hoarders, and procrastinators. And what I mean by that is people who are addicted to asking questions, people that are hoarders of all information, and, and people that are procrastination is really about uh, sort of that, that internal optimization process that, that innovators go through, to, go through to find like the perfect solution. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is you know, asking those questions, getting all of the information, looking for those optimal solutions, not just the obvious ones that are sitting there. So that resonates with me that, that asking questions is, is critical to improving anything. Exactly right. And just one extra step above, just because if you go through this, it can create an awful amount of pain, especially if you've never really done this kind of process before. And all I'm going to say is you not only have to be incredibly thirsty and driven to find optimizations, but you have to be extremely okay and in just letting your brain say, you know what, it's okay that it wasn't optimal this time. Like you have to be incredibly self-forgiving as well as incredibly self-honest and self-objective and self-aware. Like if, if you take anything from this, it's to consistently think about why you're doing what you're doing. But also like if you take a wrong line, if you do something stupid, if you make a mistake, if you think about something incorrectly, if you don't fully understand a piece of strategy, whatever it is, don't beat yourself up for it. Just say, okay, I'm going to learn from that. And that way you're not tied to anything. The issue, in, not just in, in poker, but like just in today's society, is people are tied to things, like really, really tied to things. They're tied to a political party. They're tied to a type of music. They're tied to a self-identity metric, whatever that is. Like just be fluid and, and be okay and you know, be okay with saying, you know what, I don't really agree with that anymore. I'm going to change this or I'm going to make slight optimizations this way or that way. That way you're not constantly beating yourself up because you're constantly trying to break out of bondage. You're trying to break out of a mental framework that wasn't you or isn't you right this moment. Like just be fluid. And I don't know. I, I think that's a really important part of this because it's really easy to say, okay, I'm going to try to be optimal. And then you end up just completely beating yourself up. You get in a massive self-condemnation mode. And that is a really, really bad place to be as well. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I think so much of the world is so polarized. It's either, you know, the way that I think is one way and everybody else is wrong, whatever, whatever that might be. And that can carry over yeah. to the poker table uh, as well, where, you know, I play a certain opening hand range. And that might get me in trouble. And so, yeah, you could you could beat yourself up for for doing things a certain way, or you start projecting that onto other people because they're playing a different strategy. And so now you've you know you let emotion get in you know in your way by sort of berating other players, uh, or you look at what actually happened. You know the, the the river card came that beat you, and so now you're you're all upset at the dealer, or you're upset at the luck, or you know the variance, and you know all of these things that you know we've talked about on the podcast here. Uh, quite a bit. And I think all of those are uh, projections on other things and they're getting away from the real point of, you know, did you play optimally? Uh, If not, don't beat yourself up, learn from it, like you said, and and move on with your day. But I do think, you know, all of those emotional elements that sort of come into play, whether they're against somebody else or they're against yourself, are only going to hurt your game. Exactly. And automatically thinking that something is wrong 
for whatever reason, or automatically thinking that something is right for any reason is probably an issue too, right? Whenever I see someone who I'm like, there's no way in hell they're a good player. And then I watch them play and they're, they're winning a couple of pots or even they, they win a pot silly in a really, really silly way. I still say, is there anything that they're doing here that could be really good? right? Maybe they don't, what they're doing could just be because they're gamble mode, whatever. But like, I have to ask myself, is there anything they're doing that I can take away from them? Right? There have been certain situations where I'm watching a really, really awful player and they make a horrific, what on the surface looks like a horrific bet size. And I'm like, could that ever be good? I'm like, well, okay, maybe not in this exact situation, but if the card were this instead, or if they had exactly this hand instead, or if their opponent was this player type instead, oh my goodness, that is actually a really brilliant bet size. So like, again, like if I had just said, this guy's an idiot, everything he does is wrong. Well, I'm missing opportunities to think about ways that I can make improvements in my own game or even beat him in the future. So you have to view this from, and I don't just view poker this way, but like life in general, I just view it as a scientist. When a scientist makes a hypothesis or starts looking for information, they don't beat themselves up if they're wrong. They don't like tie themselves to the results. They just say, okay, these are the results. What are the objective things we can take from this? What's the objective way I can set up this experiment? And then go forward from there. There's no like emotional tie. Remember, your brain is stupid. So Mm -hmm. your brain like can't handle emotional variance more often than not. So why set it up for failure? I don't know. Hopefully that's not too rambly, but uh, I just- I'm I'm eating it up. I'm eating it up. I love it. Cheers. (laughs) <laughs> so we got a few minutes left here. I'm, I'm curious sort of as you play and like you said, you know, you're not playing as much as you used to or uh, as much as some of the pros that are out there playing or some of the semi-pros as you classified yourself. But, you know, as, as you sit down at a table, what do you feel like, you know, when you feel like you have an edge over the other players, what is that edge? Is it is there something specific about how you play? You know, could it be patience? Could it be your, your overall strategy of the game? Or is it, you know, self-awareness? Is it ability to adapt? What's kind of what would you say your edge is at the table? I'd say adaptability is probably the most important one. Just simply because, again, I'm not tied to any play style. I'm not tied to any range. I'm not tied to anything. I'm just being as fluid as humanly possible. I'm being as dynamic as possible and taking situations as they arise organically. I'm not trying to mash a situation and mash in extra hands preflop because I'm bored or because I'm tilty or because anything like that. It's just, is this a good spot to mash in more hands? Do I have a hand that would classify as being okay in that spot? If so, yes. If no, fold. Pretty easy. So again, it's just not getting tied to anything and just being really, really dynamic and observing as much as humanly possible. I think I'm really good at digging out information and figuring out what to do with it and being, again, very fluid in case that information or that original label turns out to be wrong, right? How often do you see someone who's playing nine out of the first 10 hands and then over the next couple of hours, they don't play anything else? They were just a knit on a heater. That's totally fine. And I'm fluid in the beginning saying, this dude's probably a fish. And then an hour and a half later, it's like, okay, this dude's actually probably a knit or a tag and just being fluid in that. So I think it's a combination of those two things. It really allows a lot of, a lot of edge possibility. People get into trouble, again, the memorized players because they just have a memorized range of hands to open raise with and memorized range of hands to three bet with and a memorized range of hands, hand types and hand strengths to double barrel with. That's just not really a great place to to take this game if you're serious about improving. Oh, so good. Well, I want to I want to end with uh, coming back to some of the stuff that you're involved with with, with Redship and with the YouTube channel. But before we do that, kind of any other words of advice that you might have to uh, you know 
we, we have a, we have a whole broad spectrum of people who are listening to this. We have people that are playing home games in bars exclusively that are kind of hoping to build up their confidence to go play casino games. We have people that are grinding the $30 weekly tournaments. I would like to eventually play a 280 uh, level. We have folks that are, you know, at the thousand dollar buying that want to go pro and play the 10,000s and higher. And we have a broad range of folks. But as you think about the spectrum, what sort of advice would you have for everybody that's kind of looking to move their game to the next level from wherever they're at? Ask yourself why for everything. For the next week, drive yourself nuts. And if you're married, do not do this to your wife or your spouse. <laughs> that is do correct. Not do this. Yeah, exactly. Do not do this to your child. Every single decision they make. I have a 14 year old, and trust me, if I ask him why more than 10 times a day, he goes in like permatilt mode. So <laughs> be right. aware of your audience. But for yourself, you know yourself, and you can give yourself honest and objective answers. And I cannot stress that part enough. Give yourself honest and objective answers. It's really easy to lie to yourself or it's really easy to say, I read it here and be done with it, right? Maybe you read that in a book that's 10 years old. Um, maybe it's right, but it's very possible that it's wrong or it's very possible that it's right in certain dynamics and wrong in others. And maybe it works in your game, but it won't work when you move up. So like ask yourself why. And when you find the edge of your ability to answer something, write it down. Like, and I really think like a lot of people would benefit from having a journal or having a diary and just writing down whenever they hit the edge of their logic. And every month, go back and look at it and say, okay, did I fix any of this up? Does this raise any new questions? Can I cross anything off the list? Or is this something I need to focus on over the next week? Like just do that nonstop. And it doesn't have to, and it shouldn't just be poker stuff. Do it with real life stuff, right? If you're having money issues and you're in like weird money spots, everything you do, ask yourself why. It doesn't matter what it is. Why do I auto pay my bills? That seems like a pretty obvious thing to do, right? But why do I do it? Ask yourself that question. And if you can't answer it, then chances are you need to do a little bit of research or do a little bit of work or at least rethink it or maybe discuss it with a friend or whatever it is. Like, Just get in the habit of doing that. The more you do it, I promise you, the long-term ramifications, not just for poker, but for real life are just astoundingly massive. I totally agree, man. That is really, really good advice. And I think, you know, for some folks they are going to say, well, I just want to learn poker, <laughs> you know, but, but this is what you're talking about. You're talking about getting into this, this mindset, this paradigm where you're asking why, and that's going to roll over not only to benefit your life, but to benefit your poker. But I think that's one of those hindrances that I think is going to separate the good players from the great players. I think you, you have a certain ceiling if you're not willing to always ask why. Agreed. hundred percent. Well, let's, let's close off here a little bit talking, kind of circling back. People like what they hear. I think we all got a free poker lesson. So thanks for that. That was fantastic. <laughs> really you. good stuff. But, you know, people want to hear more about, you know, what you're doing. Tell us a little bit more about how do they get in touch with you? Uh, how do they get in touch with Red Chip Poker? Talk about the YouTube piece. You know, talk, talk a little bit more <laughs> about what, you, what you're offering and how people can connect. That's part of the issue is I kind of have too many things to plug all at the same time. So I'll kind of just save it and make it nice and simple. If you, you visit us at redchippoker.com, red like the color, chip like the things you play with, and poker like the game we all love.com, you can find core like we were discussing earlier, and you can find lots of great stuff. But redchippoker.com, we also have a podcast as well, not to compete with y'all, but if you're looking for another poker podcast, definitely add it to your iTunes. And the other place you can find me is my own personal website, which is splitsuit.com, S-P-L-I-T-S suit.com and there you can find everything I, I post a lot of my youtube videos there as well so i pretty much am involved in everything i'm involved with writing i'm involved with youtube i'm involved with podcasts i'm involved with articles anything you're looking for chances are you can find it on one of those two sites 
No, that's perfect. And as far as the competition goes, man, go check out Red Chip Poker, Red Chip Poker Podcast. It's fantastic. You know, if folks know that I've listened to to my podcast, I'm just a dude trying to figure some things out. And if I have an opportunity to connect people with, you know, higher level thinkers that connect with them, that's fantastic. You know, as you know, you know, there's, there's no shortage of ways that we can represent information and not everybody's going to resonate with everybody. So, uh, you know, I'd say you try different podcasts, you try different uh, websites, you find the stuff that really works for you. And I think there's going to be people out here listening that have heard you talk today. They're going to be like, man, I, I connect with that guy. That guy thinks the way I want to think and the way I do think. So that's, that's the idea here. Now we've maybe connected people to your podcast and they can become better players. And the ultimate goal for the rec poker podcast is to increase the number and quality of recreational players. And so uh, if, if, if that's listening to your podcast and set of mine, that's fantastic. That's fine. I've accomplished my mission. So uh, man, check check out James. Check out everything that he's doing. Uh, any any final words of advice or anything else you want to give a shout out to? Thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. In terms of final advice, I'm just going to say try something new this week, especially on the tables, but even off table, but try something new, whether that's making a three bet that you normally would have made in the past, whether it's sizing in a way you wouldn't have normally sized, whether it's eating at a restaurant that you normally wouldn't have eaten at. Just try something new. See how that works for you. That's awesome. And then when you do that, uh, take James and I out on Twitter or Facebook or whatever and let us know what you tried and what you thought and how, how it maybe changed your perspective on things. Indeed. I'd love to hear that. All right, James. Well, thanks so much for your time. Indeed. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah. And I was, I was going to say too, now we're, we're uh, recording this in mid May, but I'm not sure when it's actually going to be published. It may be publishing after you are back from Vegas. So I want to wish you luck, even though what they're going to be hearing is, They'll already know how you did, uh, but, but good luck out in Vegas. Give us a quick 30-second snapshot of what you plan on playing out there. Thank you. I'm actually, I don't have any tournaments currently planned. I have a lot of one-on-one coaching, live coaching, live cash game stuff, because I specialize in cash uh-huh. games. So that will be a large chunk of my Vegas trip, as well as some networking. And if I find the time for an event, it'll probably be single day events. I don't think I'll really have much, I really looking at my schedule right now, I don't think I have much flexibility for like two to three day events, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. So you're going to be, but you're going to be out there for a couple of weeks, but primarily networking and coaching and doing those sorts of things. Yeah. I'm out there for a month. My, uh, we just bought a rig. So we got a 30 footer. We can essentially bring our little home on our back and we'll be down there for the entire month of June. And then after that, looking forward to going up to Zion for a few days, cause I'm definitely going to need a little bit of vacation from the Vegas vacation. And then we'll head back home and enjoy the rest of the summer back in Mississippi. Wow. Sweet. Sounds like a, sounds like a good summer. Indeed. (laughs) All right, James. Well, good to chat with you and uh, good luck with everything that's going on there. Thanks, Steve. You have a great summer as well. All right. Take care. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much to James Splitsuit Sweeney for his time, his insight. Uh, Fantastic interview. It was a pleasure to to meet him. I'm excited next week. I'm going to spend a little bit of time breaking down uh, my Vegas experience, some of the hands, hoping to get some feedback on some of those tight spots. Uh, Talk a little bit about uh, the success I had at the at the 10 p.m. deep stack. Uh, also, uh, somebody mentioned I should, uh, uh, Brian, my buddy, uh, said I should talk about my Vegas weight loss plan, which uh, basically meant uh, I didn't eat uh, nearly enough, and so I lost seven or eight pounds. So that's a great way uh, to pitch to your significant other or whoever you need to to allow you to go to Vegas because maybe you'll lose some weight like I did. Uh, so, uh, it was, it was fun, but next week we'll break some of those things down. Uh, I did have a chance to talk with Sarah Herring. She interviewed me for the poker news 
podcast, and I also chatted with her. So I'm going to include uh, my conversation with her next week as sort of this overall breakdown of my time in Vegas meeting Sarah Herring and some of the cool things that came of that and some of the hands that I struggled with and, and some of the things that I really learned out of that. So that's going to be next week dedicated to, uh, I guess, a recap and a reflection on Vegas and my interview and conversation with Sarah Herring. So uh, if you want to hear my interview with Sarah on Poker News, uh, I put it out on Twitter or you can find it just by, by Googling it. Uh, it was a fantastically fun time. She's a, a bundle of energy and a, and a great a great host, and a, she's doing great work with Poker News. So I uh, encourage uh, encourage her. She's a great follow on Twitter, Aunt Chardonnay. Uh, but anyway, that's it for now. Thanks to James. Uh, check out Red Chip Poker. Do all that kind of stuff. Do the work off the felt, and hopefully you can have some success on the felt as well. So until next week, take care. Thanks. Thanks.